Hello, I'm Victor Tabala and this is Expert Voice, Eagle Natural Health's podcast and your partner in natural health well-being. Joining us in the studio today is Ryan Pinto, an accredited sports dietitian and the head of nutrition for the South Sydney Rabbitohs National Rugby League team and New South Wales Waratahs Super Rugby team. Ryan is passionate about helping athletes to improve their dietary intake to maximise their performance and incorporates nutritional supplementation as part of his dietetic approach. He also has experience working at the New South Wales Institute of Sport and was previously the sports dietitian at the Parramatta Eels rugby league team. Apart from rugby league and rugby union, he works across other various sports including triathlons, football and endurance and combat sports to help teams and individuals perform at their peak. And I'm pleased to welcome Ryan into the studio. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to Expert Voice. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. Looking forward to it as well. And this is an area for me that um, interests me a great deal, being in regards to sports, nutrition and high performance. I've personally got an interest, apart from my naturopathic qualification, I'm also currently uh, studying um, exercise and sports science as well. Oh, nice. With a, Yeah, so with a goal to um, focus on high performance down the track. So I think that nutrition, naturopathic criteria uh, can certainly make a big difference when it comes to the overall health Uh, when it comes to performance. And so I've got a massive interest in that. So today, we, as I said before, we are going to be focusing on high-performance nutrition and how an individualized nutrition and exercise plan can help you to perform at your best. So first of all, Ryan, given your line of work with professional athletes, nutritional intake would be an absolutely crucial when it comes to high-performance. So Ryan, could you define for us the term high-performance nutrition and what the key elements are that contribute to this? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the the biggest thing with high-performance nutrition is the specificity of it. So when we look at the general population where we're trying to sort of get them to trend in an upwards direction or in a better direction, um, with the high-performance nutrition and athletes specifically, they sort of have that grounding when they come into our program. So we're really just trying to make sure that they're not only covering off the, the 80 to 90% of what a normal person should be doing in terms of eating healthy and and making sure that they're continually feeding in accordance with the exercise. But it's also making sure that they're getting the 1% is right. So in sport, I guess we're really sort of striving for that 1%. And with high-performance nutrition, it's probably one of the most untapped types of things you can start to um, tap into now. And a lot more people are getting interested in it as well. Well, that's the thing is that it's always when it comes to high-performance, that 1%. Doesn't sound like much, but that one percent more that you that that you do could make a difference between, in rugby league terms, one point in golden point or pulling off sixty tackles uh, in a game when it comes to forwards. So I love that concept of that um, of the fact that that one percent that you can focus on, on top of the eighty or ninety percent you're already applying, that makes a massive difference. Yeah, definitely, um, and I think that's where the understanding with not only athletes but coaches and different staff within the football or or athlete setup. It doesn't only have to be with football, but when it comes into the endurance space, for instance, these guys are absolutely smashing their bodies and if they're doing an Ironman or they're even just a weekend warrior that goes to the gym, for instance, it's making sure that they are fueling correctly and they're not going to find that over a period of time that their body's just getting worse and worse and worse. They're actually getting the benefit from what they're putting out in terms of their exercise. And that's that's what it's all about. It's making sure that what you put into your body, 
the body can respond and utilize as as effectively as possible to not only help you get through the events, let's say, for example, uh, in, in a triathlon or an Ironman, but to um, help you to uh, perform at your best, help you to recover as well. All the important factors there that will certainly make uh, the experience of competing and most importantly, finishing uh, a worthwhile experience. So, on that note, Ryan, why is it so important for athletes to measure their nutritional intake, specifically macronutrient intake, and how do you educate them about this? I guess one of the, the main things that we start with is macronutrients, so macronutrient being fat, carbohydrate, or protein. Uh-huh. Um, when it comes to those three components, it, it pretty much makes up most of your diet or most foods. So we start to educate them, and for our benefit, we have the – I guess in my capacity, I have the ability to take guys shopping or take them to um, their local grocery store or their parents or their partner, start to make it a bit more interactive um, rather than just giving them a bit of a handout and going, see you later. (laughs) Um, So from my perspective, it's all about the visual and it comes back to being a kid. I think when, even when we start to learn things, we're touching or we're, we're feeling or we're sort of seeing things in the real, in the real sense, rather than just on a piece of paper. So that's probably how we start to educate them and then we start to show them the importance of different nutrients. So um, one of the main foundations being protein for recovery, for instance, or one of the other things being fiber to help you keep full um, and get some really good nutrient density out of your food. So it's making sure that those key elements are ingrained in the person before we move on to things like supplementation or those one percenters. But it's making sure initially it's visual and it's actually appealing to learn. Of course, we've been dealing with or speaking about your role when it comes to working with athletes and in particular, the role that the diet plays. But in terms of the advice that you've given so far, could this advice also be relevant to the non-athletes? You mentioned before people like your weekend warriors, for example. Could um, non-athletes or those who exercise regularly benefit from this advice as well? Yeah, definitely. I think when it comes to even if we touch upon macronutrients again, Protein and fiber, for instance, are two of the most key parts of a food. And if you're able to strategically place them and distribute them evenly across the day, um, you're probably ticking most of the boxes. And then the other information of just putting carbohydrate around when you exercise, and it doesn't have to be at a certain time of day or cut off at a certain time of day, but for someone who's maybe doing an F45 class in the morning or someone who's going to their local Oztag game at night, for instance, it's it's just putting carbohydrate around that activity component to allow your body to use it better. Um, and then things like fat, for instance, where it keeps you full. So if you're able to time that away from training to keep you full, whether you're sitting on a chair for eight hours, for instance, in an office day, making sure that you can, you're consuming small amounts of fat throughout the day will make sure that you're starting to feel full throughout the day and then you're sustained throughout the rest of that day as well. It pleases me to know, and Ryan, that you've mentioned and emphasize the fact that carbohydrates and fats play a major role. Because as you know, out there um, in the in the broader community, there are still a lot of those connotations about, oh, carbohydrates are bad or fats are bad. But not only is it important to know about the right choices of carbohydrates and fats, but more importantly, when. So the advice you gave about having the carbohydrates and good quality carbohydrates, I might add, around the time when you're undergoing or undertaking an activity like F45 or a CrossFit class or even going for a long 10-kilometer run, it makes perfect sense because you will need that fuel. Your muscles will need that fuel. The glycogen stores in your muscle 
is going to be very important uh, as well with carbs for recovery. And not only that, the idea of having those good fats, particularly afterwards, uh, after activity, so it sustains you and keeps you, I guess, reaching for the packet of Tim Tams during the week. Um, I mean, how often do we do that? We think about sugar. But again, it's the idea of making sure that the good quality fats are there. So avocados or you know, a dose of coconut oil, for example. So moving on to looking at the plate, because there's a lot of conversation about what our plate, so our dinner plate should be composed of. So if you were to segment a plate into a number of sections, what foods would feature on your plates for each meal in order to support high performance? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the the next main things that we tend to sort of hone in on. Um, and if I go through my phone, for instance, one of the main things that we get guys to do is send photos of their plate. So we're educating them of what a portion looks like. And um, I guess from a plate perspective, we have three different types of plates. So on a light or off day, um, on a moderate training day and then on a heavy day. So uh-huh. if we sort of looked at the the light day, for instance, it's quite vegetable dense. Um, it's yep. quite nutrient dense. So you're looking about half of it being um, vegetables, about a third of it being protein just for recovery and for keeping them full mm-hmm. and then a little bit of carb on the side. If we look at a, a moderate training day, for instance, then we're looking at that plate being in thirds. So third carbohydrate, third vegetables, um, and third protein. And then if we look at a heavy training day, it's making sure that a third of it is protein. We got a lot of it being carb and a a bit of vegetable just to help you put back those micronutrients. But it's more so the education around, okay, well, on your heavy training days, you're going for your higher carb sources, so things that are easier to eat. So your pastas or your rices, for instance, and your more nutrient-dense types of protein. So your red meat or your fish, whereas on your light training days, you might go to more salad-based vegetables just to get volume in and to keep you sort of full and busy. Uh-huh. But we might even just sort of emphasize more on your white types of, of protein or your legume types of protein. So things that aren't really as high in terms of bioavailability or nutrient density, but still going to keep you quite full um, throughout that. So it's more so not only a plate, but also what it, what the components are. The components, yeah, that's very important. And it's interesting because, I mean, that that sort of um, analogy or the process that you've said, you know, that you've stated, the, the small, medium or heavy plate, I should say. Um, and again, that could be something that we, in terms of the general public, could potentially utilise as well. So without having to go through the process of being a high-performance athlete, we can sort of look within ourselves and think, okay, on a day when we're not exercising, we're not doing F45 or when we're not doing a CrossFit session, maybe eat the light plate, you know, plate that's more dense with vegetables for the micronutrients and so forth. And then if you're going to go and do, let's say, a marathon, for example, maybe even a a 10 or 20K run, then perhaps look at more the heavy plate or the the larger plate where it is more focused on, on the carbohydrate intake as well. So I think that's important that we're not too, you know, in terms of what we do for our nutritional intake, we're not too far removed from what the athletes do. So let's go into the micronutrient side of things. And Ryan, in your opinion, which vitamins and minerals do you believe are the most important for supporting high performance? I guess a few of the main ones that we really sort of key in on and hone in on, um, one of them being iron, um, because they're using so much of it because of their training day. If we look at a general preseason week, for instance, they're doing 
close to sort of five to six days of training. Um, and each day is probably about six hours of training. And that's in wow. 30 to 35 degree heat. So they're using, there's a lot of stress that's placed on the body. Um, iron, B12 being the two probably key ones. And on our heavy training days, for instance, with our lunches that I plan and work with caterers for, we're always making sure that they're having red meat. So they're having a decent dose of it, but it's a very nutrient dense type of protein. Um, and then other key nutrients, for instance, being things like calcium, for instance, potassium, really honing on our electrolytes. So whether we're getting it through food, whether we're getting it through fluid, um, I'm not really too fussed. It really depends on the weather and, and how hot it's going to be for gut tolerance. But um, it's making sure that probably those key ones, um, along with things like magnesium, for instance, to, to allow the body to relax, create energy production. Um, these are all things that you probably would see in a textbook, but yep. I guess the, the skill is in translating it and how it can be practical. So what sort of foods or what sort of ways can we actually get the athlete to consume it where they don't feel like they're going to be sick or they're going out of the way to have it. It just becomes part of their, their daily routine. So Ryan, you touched upon calcium. So in terms of calcium for bone health and muscle contraction, I'm assuming that's something which you focus on a lot? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the main things that we sort of find is um, the importance of calcium from a muscle contraction perspective. So um, a lot of people, and especially when we train in summer, whether it's the footy teams or the, the cricket teams I look after, um, they're training in, in an environment where it's quite hot and for a long period of time. So we're making sure that that we're reducing the risk of someone cramping. And, and most of the time people will sort of reach for the salts and things like that. And it's probably yep. well known hydration and things like sodium, potassium are, are, are important, but calcium is right up there. And, and most people don't get enough through their daily diet and that's why they find that they cramp. So that's whether right. we're doing it from a food or a supplement perspective, we're really focusing in on that for people that tend to cramp. Um, and then again, from a bone health perspective, we know that, especially from a, a cricket perspective, we know that males, for instance, will reach their first sort of growth spurt at about 16 or 15 to 17. And then again, from 19 to 20. So with our fast bowlers, for instance, and in, in cricket, um, stress fractures, the lumbar stress fractures yeah. are the biggest um, injury risk by far. How often do you hear about people, yeah, you know, athletes exactly. like that who break down quite easily? So it's making sure that from a young age, even though we might not get the time to spend with them that we do with the elite squads, it's prioritizing things like calcium to make sure that they're meeting requirements and targeting it around when they actually exercise. And again, making sure that they're doing it on those heavy stress days because you sweat out calcium. So if it's already 30 degrees and they're going out to bowl and they haven't actually had any calcium foods, they're going to be losing calcium without putting it back in. So it's just making sure that we're able to put it in a way that they can understand and, and especially with those younger people that their parents can understand. So they're Absolutely. essentially buying yeah. foods or they're supplementing yeah. correctly at the time that's needed and when it's actually needed. Just a quick question without notice here, Ryan. So you mentioned before about calcium and magnesium in terms of its importance, whether it's from the diets and supplementation, and we'll get to the supplementation later on. But in terms of calcium and magnesium, like for, for our broader audience, can you give us some some um, ideas food-wise when it comes to sources of good quality calcium and magnesium? Yeah, so I guess when it comes to calcium, the food group that stands out is dairy food. So Dairy foods are very high in naturally occurring calcium. And one of the main things that we find is that people just can't get enough dairy foods into them either because they're lactose intolerant or they read something incorrect on Instagram or whether even it's just hard to get in on a hot day. And 
that's where we have to start to sort of search for your vegetarian sources, for instance. So whether it's looking at things like almonds, but if we look at a practical example, 70 almonds has the same amount of calcium as one glass of milk. So it's going to be a lot easier to drink a glass of milk than it is to eat 70 almonds. I guess it's more so looking at those dairy foods or, or your dark green leafy vegetables, which do have a small yep. amount of calcium. Um, when it looks at, when we're looking at things like magnesium, it's really our nuts and seeds, for instance. So it's our outer coating of our nuts and seeds. Um, they tend to have quite a high amount of magnesium. Vegetarian sources and vegetables have a small amount of it, but if it's not our nuts and seeds, then we're really looking to supplement with it. Okay. And, and that's great for our audience to know that, particularly when it comes to calcium, it's not just dairy. I mean, as you stated before, we know the importance of dairy and how much calcium dairy can give us in, a, um, in terms of our diet. But just to know that nuts and seeds and particularly almonds – like even though it's 70 almonds um, equivalent to one cup, at least you can maybe get half that from, you know, like just eating a, a certain portion of nuts or almonds per day can certainly contribute to the overall amount of calcium that you're going to intake. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably one of the, the differences with, with high-performance nutrition in the general population. With athletes, you're striving for a lot higher in terms of the amount of calcium that you're trying to get in. So mm-hmm. um, we're looking for those higher amounts. But if you're just looking for your general calcium intake, you can start to pair a few different things and your calcium intake starts to rise quite rapidly. So it's making sure that you're just educated on where you can actually get it from a variety of sources. Yeah. And you mentioned before about you know players or athletes who sweat out calcium and magnesium when it comes to hot days when they're training or even competing and that's important to know because normally we would think sodium and potassium but it's not just sodium and potassium that we're losing through our sweat it's also uh, other nutrients like calcium and magnesium as well and it's very easy to see particularly on one of those hot days where an athlete can lose a lot of that um, a lot of those micronutrients so it's just good to know or good that you've pointed out the fact that it's not just sodium potassium that we're losing along the way when it comes to performance so Ryan, outside of dietary sources, are there particular forms of calcium and combinations that are important to look out for when selecting a supplement for bone health? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, a lot more supplement companies are moving towards this way in terms of having a more well-rounded calcium supplement. Um, Anything apart from, I guess, uh, uh, calcium citrate, for instance, absorbs it a lot better um, compared to a carbonate, for instance. But it's more so the combination that really sort of takes it to a new level. So whether it's looking at something like a whether it has things like boron or vitamin K2, magnesium, vitamin D3, we know um, allows calcium to absorb a lot better into the body. Uh-huh. So it's just making sure that it's more of a complex along with a, a good quality source of calcium rather than just calcium by itself. An important thing to note there is that, you know, when having a complex, see, normally when we're eating, like, I mean, supplement supplementation is re- really literally meaning supplements our diet. And so when we're looking at diet normally, nutrients don't necessarily occur on their own in food. They're always in some sort of combination. I always make this point that individual B vitamins, you rarely find them on their own in foods. You always find them in a complex with other B vitamins and other nutrients. So same thing again with your calcium that you'll normally find them in nature paired up with the likes of vitamin D or magnesium or even boron. So going back to your work when it comes to athletes and high performance, what role does supplementation play and how can it potentially support high performance in someone who is doing an obscene amount of training, for example? Yeah, so with 
with our guys, especially during preseason, as I said, we can get up to sort of 40 hours of training in a week. So nutrition definitely needs to be close to 100% if not 100%. But um, and when we talk about nutrition, mainly coming from whole foods, but apart from that, you can't get as much, especially from a 40-hour training week, you can't get that much nutrients from food and it's quite hard to consume it. So one of the the other things that we look at is also how we can tie supplements in to help nourish the athlete and help them from a health perspective sort of carry on through that week. Because what we always find for people that come into our club that's new, um, they may not be exposed to the different range of not only emphasis that we place on nutrition, but also the supplementation side as well. Um, we find that during the the start of the week, Monday, Tuesday, they'll be okay. And then come Thursday, Friday, they're just sort of really feeling flat. So yeah. supplementation plays a huge role in allowing them to still feel well without actually eating all this quantity of food, which they, they require to eat. So in 35, 40 degree heat, you don't really feel like eating. Um, and if we find that guys that don't actually eat, they get into this a huge calorie deficit uh-huh. um, and then they're just not getting the nutrients in. So when they go from one training session to another, for instance, they just can't back that up. And, and that's where supplements start to sort of stay on their own. They they allow to, them to support the person without actually eating a huge quantity of food. And I suppose the, the concern there as well <clears throat> is uh, apart from a potential dip in performance when it comes to um, – I guess the the lack of nutritional intake, the other problem there could be is other systems in the body that could be affected. So for example, immune immune system. So in terms of supplementation for athletes, what are your top three supplements that you prescribe to help with boosting performance? I guess the first one, it's it's mainly looking at energy metabolism. So we we work with an activated B supplement just to allow the person to to get those B vitamins back into the body that they're losing. Um the next one that we're looking to use is a magnesium supplement to help not only replace magnesium that's been lost, but also allow that muscle to relax and, and assist with energy production. Um, and then the last one that's probably in our top three is an omega-3 supplement. So when we look at omega-3, we're, we're trying to de-inflame the body and start to reduce inflammation, whether it's within the joint or if someone has a chronic joint issue start to allow them to get a little bit of relief. Um, so we're making sure that it's quite high in EPA to allow that inflammation to start to subside. And then there's also other supplements out there that um, omega-3 supplements that are higher in DHA. So we're finding a lot more research into concussions and and now we treat mm. concussions with DHA or fish oils that have a higher amount of DHA to allow something called a neurofilament light to start to decrease um, and that allows the the brain to start to rehab after a concussion or a head trauma. It's good to know that when it comes to supporting those types of individuals or players or athletes who may be potentially susceptible to those sorts of problems, then there is something like, as you said before, the DHA component in fish oil or omega-3s that can make such a massive difference. So when looking out for a good quality B complex, always look out for the term activated bees. And there you will get, um, in my opinion, and in obviously in Ryan's opinion, uh, a good quality bee complex that's going to do the job and do it well. So moving away from supplementation temporarily, hydration. So you've emphasized on hydration, and particularly on those 35 degree days when, um, when athletes are training. So 
you mentioned, of course, that it is essential for athletes, uh, particularly when they're on the field. So just again, for our broader audience, can you explain why hydration is so important? Yeah, um, I guess the first and foremost is we we focus so much on hydration just because that's our body's ability to cool itself. So when we sweat, um, the body's sweating and producing fluid to sort of be excreted to, yeah. to cool the body. So you're losing a lot of fluid um, and we've found there's so much of research that um, suggests that as you start to dehydrate, you reduce your performance. So even a, a loss of 2% of your body weight um, within a session can compromise your body's ability to perform and reduce your cognition during that sport. And uh-huh. if that's sport, and most sports are skill-based, so if that sport is skill-determined, you're reducing your ability to perform that skill during that period of time. So we really focus on hydration because it's one of our sort of non-negotiables that we talk about. And I guess from the advice that we sort of give athletes is not to catch up on your hydration, to make sure that you start a session hydrated. One of the key metrics that we use is 10 mils per kilo consumed within two hours of okay. that um, session or within that game. So we find that people either go one way or the other. They either don't hydrate enough and then we need to start to encourage them to to drink. And one of the things that we might encourage them to drink with is by pairing it with a salty food. So that starts to encourage thirst and then they get that amount in. On the other side of the coin, I guess, is people – put too much of an emphasis on hydration and they overhydrate and then uh-huh. they actually dilute their electrolytes. And we're, we're actually starting to find that happen a lot more in, in sport nowadays where because of their access to things like Powerade and, and water, that's everywhere wherever you yes. go. People start to use these things and they'll overhydrate and they'll dilute their electrolytes and then they'll actually start to cramp in the game. So we start to, with our cramper club that we call it um we start to make sure that they have a set amount of fluid that they can drink and no more so in the in the nervousness of prepping for a game for instance or an event people just sort of hold a bottle and just start to sip on it so we start to educate guys and we'll sort of look out for them in the prep or in the lead up into a game so they're not over hydrating they're they're consistently taking that fluid so um we're just making sure that we're ticking the box from either side, whether they're, they're poor hydrators or overhydrators. So once again, emphasizing Ryan's equation there when it comes to hydration. So 10 mils per kilo. So obviously, if you're a 70 kilo person, it's going to be 700 mils. You talked before about athletes when it comes to hydration. What about the average person? So again, just the average person who may not be exercising as much, what sort of levels of hydration should they be aiming for? Yeah, sure. So that equation, for instance, is only in the prep into a game, so two hours before a game. But for the general person, even for our athletes, for instance, all we're really looking for them to do is to self-monitor. So when they go to the toilet, they look before they flush and it needs to be a very pale straw color. So that could be anywhere from six to 10 cups of fluid. And that includes things like coffees, teas, um, any other fluid like soups that they might have during the day. So there's no real set amount of water or fluid that you need to have. Uh It's making sure that you're monitoring yourself. And literally that's all we tell guys to do. So before you flush and we have this in front of our urinals, for instance, is look at the color, see how hydrated you are and then hydrate accordingly. So you're looking for a pale straw color, anything darker than that, you're not drinking enough. If it's clear, you're probably drinking a little bit too much fluid and not getting enough food. And we probably see that more so in our general Joe Blow where they tend to have about seven or eight coffees but don't really eat anything Um, and they're just using it to sort of go through the day and and consume fluid just to keep themselves going. So that's where we start to find that people with 
have urine that's literally clear so they're just not eating enough food during the day and normally what that results in is they go home and they could eat a horse um, just because they haven't eaten in the day so um, it comes back to then their food and what their food is like during the day and how can we make that more nutritious? Excellent. And I think that's very important to, to, to note the, uh, the urine colour uh, as well. Again, something very simple that anyone can do at home to be able to monitor um, where their hydration state is. So, again, wonderful advice there. So moving on to sleep, how does sleep factor into high performance? Yeah, I think apart from anything, sleep is probably the most important thing that we haven't conquered at the moment. There's so many distractions that can occur at night, whether it's coming from um, kids, for instance, whether it's coming from blue light from electronic devices, whether uh-huh. it's coming from our players playing Fortnite till about 2am. Um, <laughs> I'm not that old, but I still find that that's um, something that the current generation is hooked on or whether it's just scrolling through social media really. So there's certain things that we find that impede our guys to sleep and sleep is where you get all your recovery it's where your hormones start to normalize it's where we start to find that things like growth factors for instance start to get produced so unless you're falling into sleep and you're you're hitting those REM cycles of about three or four in a in a night um, you don't really find that you recover as well and then you find that things like injury rates and stuff increase so we found that for adolescent athletes semi-professionals for instance if they get less than seven hours of sleep a night, it increases their risk of injuring themselves one and a half times or 1.7 times compared to someone who sleeps eight hours a night. So um, one of the main things that we start to do and we start to sort of look at is what their sleep environment is like and the term that we use is sleep hygiene. So some of the key tips and tricks, I guess, is making sure that they have a certain routine and even if they are watching TV, for instance, um, or they're on their phone, is to make sure that they put something in place before they go to bed. So instead of having a shower at, say, 7 o'clock at night and then sort of falling um, asleep or going to bed after that, making sure that they have a shower just before they go to bed. So it breaks that sort of cognition or that um, hook that um, electronic devices have yep. and it starts a, a certain routine. Another one that's key is making sure that the the bedroom is actually slightly colder, so between 18 and 21 degrees, but... It's maintained throughout the night. Um, So we find that people that might put the aircon on over the day or put the heater on, the room temperature changes throughout the night and they get restless and wake up sort of around that 3, 4 a.m. So we're looking to maintain a certain temperature within the room for the whole duration of that sleep period. And then looking at fluid requirements. So we place an importance on it, but people that tend to not drink enough and then catch up at night, they have to wake up at night to go to the toilet and then that breaks the sleep. So it's those sorts of tips and tricks, I guess, and other things like having higher tryptophan-based foods, for instance, which allows you to to start to sleep a little bit better and, and puts you into a deeper sleep cycle. So there's things like that that we start to really focus in on and, and tick the box, I guess. We have a, a bit of a checklist that we go through and it's mainly just athletes, mums and dads or their partners going through that checklist and making sure that um, – they're following or they're trying to tick off as much as they can. And you mentioned before high tryptophan food. So if you, what comes to my mind, of course, is milk, uh, but also turkey as well. Can you think of any other food sources of type tryptophan? Yeah, it's mainly those two. Yeah. Um, you can get tryptophan supplements, for instance. Uh-huh. And in normally, or a lot more companies are now starting to do this, where in sleep formulas, they're putting tryptophan in there. But um, it's mainly those two that you, that you hit before. And sleep... 
as a naturopath or as a um, budding naturopath many, many years ago, one of the factors that was always described to me when it comes to the importance of sleep is the fact that sleep is housekeeping mode for your body. So as you said, it's the time where your body can repair itself, do all the things it needs to do to reset so that the next day when you wake up, your body's raring to go and it's repaired itself to the best of its ability and can uh, look forward to the day ahead. So again, it's that it's that importance or the emphasis on a good quality night's sleep that could make a difference, I mean, not just for the athlete, everyone in general. Now, exercise. So it's never a one-size-fits-all approach when considering exercise plans and nutrition. So how important is it that individuals have a personalized plan based on their needs and, and why? Yeah, I guess one of the, the things that I find from the general perspective and in private clinics and things like that is that if you have any injuries or if you have any sort of issues that are stopping you from moving, then it's making sure that you're seeking out professionals. So whether it's going to see a physio that um, is able to treat you, it's making sure that when you do put a plan together, whether it's for exercise or for nutrition, you're seeing someone that is able to individualize it to your needs and include things that you actually like. And that's important because nothing worse than doing some, you know, a, a form or a type of exercise that you're not enjoying. Because the problem there, of course, is that it is putting your body under more stress uh, and probably more anxiety as well if you're not actually enjoying the type of movement that's incorporated into that, into that particular exercise program. So good advice there. So my final question to you today, Ryan, is when it comes to getting nutritional advice to optimize performance. Who should individuals seek advice from? Now, I know, of course, you know, you're very busy with uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs and also the New South Wales Waratahs as well. So your book might be pretty full. But yeah, who, who should individuals seek advice from? I guess from a, from a sporting perspective, you're looking at sports dietitians, but even people like naturopaths or nutritionists that are experienced in that area, so that have worked with people or um, that sort of have really taken the time to, to study certain um, certificates or courses outside of their general university qualifications or their college qualifications and, and even people like natural health practitioners. So people that are experienced in that field to allow you to optimize yourself. And if you have seen one in the past and didn't go your way, for instance, don't sort of tick that box and, and move on. Make sure that you go to see someone else that's more experienced and that will be able to give you some sort of guidance and help to help you individualize something that's going to help you perform better at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, it's that advice that could make a difference and, um, and good quality advice will always um, be easier to adhere to in terms of long-term health and well-being. So we all know that proper nutrition and exercise is important, but it was fascinating to hear about the actual physical impact of certain foods on our bodies and how exactly that can impact our performance plus that sleep so factors that we may not necessarily think of sleep hydration and proper supplementation that may help some to reach their everyday potential and for more information on achieving performance through nutrition please visit the health and wellness section on the eagle natural health website and search for ryan pinto you spell pinto p-i-n-t-o Ryan, we've covered off on many topics today and I thank you so much for coming into the studio to talk about this area of high-performance nutrition. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I hope everyone listening has learned something and um, talk to you guys real soon. And we encourage you to consult with your healthcare practitioner for advice on whether supplements are suitable for you. 
If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd appreciate you jumping onto iTunes to provide us with a rating and a review. If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us via the Eagle Natural Health website, which is www.eaglenaturalhealth.com.au in the Contact Us section. I'm Victor Tabala. Thanks for listening. Thank you.